Welcome to Madison City Channel's Know Your Candidates interviews, co-sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. I'm your moderator, Cheryl Daniels, and I would like to introduce the candidates for Wisconsin State Assembly District 47, Phil Anderson and Rob Call. Each of you will have three minutes for an opening statement that answers this question. What is your professional, educational, and civic background that qualifies you for the State Assembly, and why are you running? Mr. Anderson. Thank you. Well, I was born and raised in Beloit, Wisconsin, and have lived in and around the district for the last 25 years or so. Um, I've worked at a taxi company for most of that time. I'm a graduate of the University of Wisconsin, and uh, especially in my current job as being the general manager of a taxi company, I see every aspect of life in and around our district, um, every economic social level, every activity. I'm very familiar with how the district is in terms of uh, prosperity, economics, social issues. Um, my background is in geography. I have a, a bachelor's in geography from the university, and I think that informs my opinions as well as to what's best for the 47th district in terms of what the state government can do for it. Okay. Mr. Gall. All right. Thank you, and thank you for having us here. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, I've been in the legislature now uh, almost two years. This is my first term, so I obviously bring that background of having some experience uh, in the Capitol and serve on uh, six standing committees there and a special committee as well. Before this, uh, I served as mayor of Monona for four terms, and before that I was on the city council. And I'm also a small business owner. I'm an attorney, graduated from UW-Madison Law School, and I still work outside the building, which I think should be a requirement for anybody who uh, seeks to represent their fellow citizens in the legislature because I think you need to understand the ramifications of the laws you pass on uh, the constituency. and, and so for me, it's been very important, and it, it takes some extra effort, but uh, I think one of the things I bring to the table is um, the ability to understand the impact of what we do in the building on business owners, on parents. I'm a father of four young children. Public education is a primary issue for me. Um, you know, I came from the background of local government, which I also think should be a prerequisite for anybody to run for this position, because so much of what we do in the capital impacts local government, towns, cities, villages, counties, school boards. And I think if we had more people that spent that time uh, to prepare themselves to serve at the state level by serving, and it's really serving volunteering when you serve at that local level, given that you know, there's not a lot of uh, monetary compensation for that. But I think if people would spend the time and put it in there, understand how local government works, and understand that then you'd have a better understanding once you get to the capital of what we do there every day and how it impacts local government. And so I think I bring a lot of that background, public-private sector experience. Uh, you know, obviously, the local government experience, I think, is key. And you know, for me, I have found this to be very rewarding over the last two years. Had a lot of time to work with the constituents, uh, get to know the district even better. And um, you know, came in, got endorsed by all eight municipal leaders. There's eight municipalities in the district, the county uh, executive, the sheriff, and so forth. And I've kept those endorsements because I've gone out of my way to reach out to these people during these two years I've served to make sure that they're in constant communication with us and they're informed. And they're informing me about what is best for this area because I can't pretend to know what's best for the McFarland School Board. The folks there need to tell me that. And I really think that we've done a good job of having that line of communication. Okay. You'll now each have two minutes to answer the following questions as we alternate which candidate will go first. There are reports out that, that discuss a growing structural deficit for the state of Wisconsin. Do you believe this is happening? And if so, how do you believe this issue should be addressed when the legislature returns in January? 
Representative Collins. Okay. Well, I, it's clear it's happening. Uh, one of the, the great benefits of serving in the legislature here in Wisconsin is we have these nonpartisan um, committees, agencies that serve us, and, and the one that has you know, told us this is the number is the Legislative Fiscal Bureau. And you know, this was a big campaign issue four years ago when the Governor Walker was running for his first term because he said he was coming into a 2.2, I think, structural deficit. Well, now it's, it's near two, two, $2 billion uh, under his leadership. So it's something we really have to seriously address. My concern, and I've said this from the beginning, is when, you know, as a business owner uh, and as also as a mayor, I had to comply with generally accepted accounting principles, which is just the standard. We as a state don't follow that standard. And so it's really a shell game. You push expenses off to the next fiscal year when you see that you're going to run short. I think we've gone and now we're starting to see just the early impacts of some of the manufacturing and ag tax credits that were put in place, which sound good, but when you sit down and run the numbers, you know it's not long-term feasible, and that's starting to have an impact on the revenue. You know, if we all want a quality of life in this state that we've come to enjoy, well, that requires there be some public services, be it police, fire, um, parks, public education, et cetera. We are continuing to give tax breaks to the super rich and various segments of the business community that are really starting to have that negative direct effect on our ability to have the sufficient revenues. I'm a business owner. I own property. I don't want to pay any more taxes than I have to. But I also want good schools for my four kids. And I want a, a good, strong communities. And I want, when I call 911 for the police and fire, to show up on time and be qualified. Right now, we're starting to see that we're going to put things like that, some basic services, at risk because we're simply, um, our whole economic development and jobs creation policy is just tax cuts. It's not even talking about job training. So the, the number is real. We have to have an honest dialogue with the citizens, and we have to start being more honest in our accounting and not doing these budget gimmicks, which really have been done by both parties. This isn't a one-party issue. It's happened uh, repeatedly over the last couple of decades, and it's time for people to step forward and, and make a fix. When I was mayor of Monona, I walked in, and we had uh, a very serious problem in our, in our fund balance. Uh, we were being told our, our bond rating was going to be reduced because of the situation we were in. I sat down with the council and with the community, and we addressed that. So what I ended up doing was quadrupling the size of our, uh, of our rainy day fund, and when I left, our bond rating was the highest it could be for a municipality our size. These things can be done. You just need to work at it. Okay. Mr. Anderson. Well, I appreciate uh, Representative Call's response. It sounded pretty complicated. Uh, government's involved in our, way, in our lives in a number of ways, uh, especially economically. As you mentioned, there are many different tax breaks and tax cuts for certain people. And as he acknowledged, uh, both parties have played favorites in that regard. Uh, well, I disagree with him uh, that tax cuts uh, aren't the best way to go about this. Part of the problem with attracting businesses and, and people to stay in Wisconsin has been the uncertain economic environment here. Um, in fact, the current administration has uh, created the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, which has basically been uh, an instrument of uh, picking winners and losers and rewarding cronies uh, for the current administration. And it's something previously that the Department of Commerce did and would probably continue to do in the future under uh, Governor Burks uh, if, if she's elected. Um, so what we really need to do is make a regulated economy that's, that's not interfering in people's lives. So lower taxes, create a better environment. People will come here, people will stay here, people will spend their money. One of the main differences between a libertarian philosophy and that of the two-party system is that we believe in and understand that, that individuals are good. And when left to their own devices, they will, they will do things in their community that don't, that don't involve the government. And the government has a powerful voice in terms of saying what it will do and what it won't do and what's going on and what's not going on. 
but a lot more happens in the, in the community uh, every year in terms of people's involvement in their community, um, nonprofits' involvement, pe- uh, churches, everybody helping out. That's a very powerful instrument that's not accounted for in the way the government looks at our economic situation. So I would favor reducing taxes across the board, simplifying it, getting the money out of uh, campaign finance so that, uh, so that uh, people that are running and people that are serving don't have that, that incentive to create loopholes and favorite uh, programs for businesses and people that contribute to them and just make it simpler all the way across the board. And that'll help um, people in the middle class and, and lower classes uh, to advance and find better jobs and, and uh, to do better for themselves and for their family. Okay. Um, in the same vein on other on, on deficits, we are talking about a, um, a deficit in the transportation fund. We're also at the same time talking about potentially a constitutional amendment on that issue about dealing with the transportation fund. What do you um, see as your position as far as the constitutional amendment, but also how are we going to fix that um, deficit? Well, I think it's a shame that we would need a constitutional amendment just to protect parts of the budget from being looted by uh, one of the two major parties. That's, that's uh, basically indicative of the current state of our political system being monopolized by two parties. In terms of the deficit, um, while it might be instinctual to say that we need to raise taxes, I think that there are ways to shift the burden of the maintenance and building of the roads to people who actually use them. I'm not opposed to having a toll system or some sort of user tax that takes, it, takes the burden off the general taxpayers. Um, and that way, again, and going back to my previous answer, uh, improving the business climate in Wisconsin will increase tax revenues towards these sorts of infra- infrastructure without being so much of a burden on our current economic, uh, the current economic system in Wisconsin. Okay. Well, it's a great question. I, um, I served on the Transportation Finance and Policy Commission that was created by the legislature and the governor before I was even in the legislature. It was me and some other former mayors and business owners. And what we came up with on a bipartisan committee, this was, uh, was uh, a menu of options, and, and tolling was one of them. But really, it was here's some ideas. And unfortunately, it got summarily dismissed by the Republican leadership before we even released the report, uh, the very report they commissioned us to come up with. So you know, I co-sponsored, um, was the lead author with the, the constitutional amendment because um, we had seen over the decades both parties going into that fund and using it for non-transportation purposes. And when we would go out and talk to the public, which we did as part of that commission work, we went around the state, people said, don't come to me talking about new revenues if you guys can't actually use the revenues that you're telling us are for transportation on transportation. So it's an important first step. But the next step is talking about the reality of the situation, which is a result of a good thing. We have more fuel-efficient cars. So they are paying less at the pump. We have some cars that never go to the pump. They're plug-in. They're hybrids, uh, CNG, et cetera. So we need to figure out uh, on a user-based system how we can collect the needed money to make the investments. Because this isn't just about building superhighways. This is about taking care of the pothole in front of your local street. This is talking about snow removal on your local street so your kids can get safely to school and you can get safely to work. So it's a real situation that we are, uh, have been kicking the can down the road, and now we're at the point where pretty soon 20 to 25 cents of every dollar you collect at the gas pump is going to debt service. It's credit card mentality of just using bonding to pay for transportation projects. Bonding is always going to be a part of any long-term infrastructure investment. It needs to be. You learn that as a local official. But it can't be so predominant in how you fund these things. And you need to have a steady source of income to pay off that debt. Right now, we don't have it. It's about a $700 million gap on an uh, annual basis. So you know, we also have some issues at the federal level. But focusing on the state level, I think that's why you've seen all the chambers of commerce and the business community rally behind the idea of walling off the fund 
And now we need to have that serious discussion on how we pay for it because when you talk to businesses, besides having talented personnel, people they can hire, uh, always the top two issues are people and transportation, access for their, their company and their goods. Okay. Um, what do you see as um, another issue which is particularly important for your district, and what ideas do you have to advance this issue in response? Well, I think, I think I'm first. Yes. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> what, one of the main issues I hear, and I've heard it uh, since I ran the first time and, and going around to uh, community events and knocking on doors, is um, the concern over public education. And the fact that we are just not funding it at the level we need to. Uh, you know, I've got four kids, three of them in the Monona Grove School System, one uh, not old enough yet to be in there. And what we get there is a phenomenal education. But what we've seen is the, the special interest groups uh, that my opponent referred to before flooding a lot of money into this state to divert tax dollars into um, voucher schools, these private voucher schools that don't have the same level of accountability to the taxpayers. They uh, do not have to, require, uh, to comply with open meetings, open records, uh, so they can do whatever they want in the shadow of the night. And they also don't have to follow due process, meaning that if there's a child that's autistic, they can say, no, go away. I want the taxpayer money, but I'm not going to take the tough kids. The tough kids can go to the public school. We're going to take the easy kids. Well, what that's going to do over time is, is set up a system of guaranteed failure for the public school system. And if you look at anything that goes on in Dane County in particular, but the state, what really drives local development, what drives local quality of life is that local school district. When my wife and I looked at where we wanted to locate, it was all about the school district. She grew up in Monona, loved the school district. I put my business there because I knew that I could find talented people and they also would want to locate nearby because they could have a great place for their kids to go to school. And it's what drives it. You talk to any realtor in this state and they will tell you, we lose these, these quality schools, it's going to have a negative impact long term on the economic vitality of the state. So this is the main pressing issue right now because this is the investment we need to make to improve our communities, but it's the investment we need to make to train the next generation that's going to you know, take over the jobs as we have the baby boomers get ready to retire. We need to have a skilled workforce. That's K through 12, and it's the college system and the tech college system and the apprenticeship programs. We're not investing in those at the level we need to, and we're frankly diverting the money to people that don't have to uh, be accountable for it. Okay. Mr. Anderson. I've heard a different message and, uh, while circulating through the district, knocking on doors, shaking hands. Uh, what I've been talking about is campaign finance reform and the amount of money flooding into the state um, both for, for both parties. Um, and that's been a message that's really resonated with the people in the 47th district. Even if they identify as a Republican or a Democrat, whatever, whatever they may be, they're really upset at the way business is being done in, well, in Madison and in Washington both. What we really need to do is somehow get a handle on campaign finance reform so that there's not a lot of money flooding in from out of state and so that we don't consider um, these massive contributions to be protected under free speech. Just a couple of days ago, the New York Times put in an article um, that they, re they revealed some documents from the uh, National Council of uh, um, Republican Governors that showed all of these corporate interests on the board of that organization and, and showing how that they're, they're rewarded for making contributions and how both hands are helping each other. The response from the, from the um, spokesperson of that organization, organization, all they could do is point at the Democrats and say they're doing the same thing. That was their official response. That's particularly disheartening. Um, it's something that really needs to, to be addressed. Um, corporate donations aren't speech. They shouldn't be speech. That, that uh, um, decision by the Supreme Court, Citizens United, was wrong. 
And that's one way to get control of even the things that Representative Call is talking about in terms of education. We don't have the same views on how to improve education, but certainly outside money um, is a big problem. As a matter of fact, just today I pulled up uh, um, some information about how much money is being spent on ads by both governor races at this point, and they're both over $2 million in television ads with about half of them being negative. And that's the environment that we, that we live in. That's how people see their government because of all the outside money flooding in and, and promoting them and feeding those coffers and allowing them to run those sorts of ads and creating a situation where there's only two candidates that are, that are considered viable because of the money, and they're just beating each other over the head. Okay. No matter which of you are elected, you are likely to enter the Wisconsin Assembly outside the majority. Um, what do you believe are going to be the me- best methods to be effective um, outside the, being outside the majority? To be perfectly frank, I expect to be a royal pain to both parties. My goal is to talk about the things that I'm talking about on the campaign trail. Campaign finance, uh, two-party system, too high of taxes, too much involvement in, of the state government in our economic lives and our social issues as well. All these things resonate with, with uh, citizens all over Wisconsin, and I intend to make a great deal of noise. I also intend to write legislation and sponsor legislation. Uh, Representative Call's got an excellent record of, of uh, generating bills on things. Um, my goal is not only do that, but to make noise and really uh, bring those issues to the further attention of citizens so they know exactly what's going on. It's not just sort of swept under the rug or considered to be an integral part of a two-party system. Okay. Representative Call. Well, I think if you look at my two years or close to two years of service in the uh, legislature where I have been in the minority, you'll see how I've um, proven that you can be successful. I, I had more bills passed than any other Democrat, and I'm a freshman. That's because you know, I was able to reach across the aisle and get things done. Some of these were pretty straightforward. You had issues that were brought forward to me by constituents in McFarland about uh, a loophole in the sex offender law. That's a pretty straightforward one where you, know, you can hopefully get by any partisan issues and find some solutions. But there was things like uh, I had a constituent come forward, her son suffered from uh, significant seizures, passed the cannabidiol or, or um, anti-seizure medical marijuana bill, and got bipartisan support, and the governor signed it. We have some federal hurdles that we're dealing with right now, but it's something where you can work across the aisle if you really do put in the effort and uh, educate people and, and understand where they're coming from. I respect a legislator that's coming from Waukesha has very different views on certain things and has a very different constituency. But there's a lot of things we can agree on. And like I said, I I was very successful in getting a lot of bills passed, uh, dealing with job creation, dealing with child protection issues, dealing with public safety, across the spectrum, because I'm willing to work with people. As mayor, I had to deal with a a, a cross-spectrum of people on the council and in the business community, et cetera, that had very different views. But uh, I was very successful, I think, in moving things forward in Monona. Uh, I've taken that on into my role now in the assembly. It's the same way I do things in the business world, and same thing I do in my own personal life. You know, you can sit there and try to get in arguments with somebody about everything, because you're going to find something to disagree on, certainly, with anybody. But I rather try to focus on where we can find some agreement and move forward. I heard that two years ago when I was knocking on doors, that stop the bickering, see where you can find some agreement, and move forward. I'm hearing that again as I go around, and people are are understanding that I am actually, you know, doing that. So it's resonating, and I've proven you can be successful uh, in getting things done, even if you're in the minority. Okay. Um, one issue that I think um, is, is underlies some Wisconsin that, that are, is concerning to a lot of people is the issue of racial disparities in a lot of different kinds of, of 
areas. Where do you see putting some priority in on that issue, Representative Call? Well, it goes back, there's a, there's a few things. Um, it goes back to our public education system. You know, we, we are not making that investment that we need. My, my opponent and I have some differing views on this. Uh, you know, he wants to expand private voucher schools and not bring in that accountability. He's against Common Core. You know, I think that we're just going to, if, if we go that route, we're going to divert so many resources and attention from where it needs to be. Well, that doesn't mean that our public system is doing a great job. There are some gaps there. What we need to do is, is work with these young men and women in, in the minority community, get them through uh, the public school system, because right now the graduate, graduate, graduation rate in Milwaukee and Madison in particular is unacceptable. But we need to get them introduced to the apprenticeship programs available. We need to make sure that they think that they have the opportunity to go to a technical college or a four-year college. And part of that starts early on. And a lot of it starts with job opportunities for their families, for their, fr for their parents, because right now that's where we see a lot of the despair. And you know, there needs to be some concerted effort and investment in a lot of these programs. The other thing we need to do is really look at how we handle our correctional system in the state. I used to be an attorney at the Department of Corrections, so I know it pretty well. And I know we do some things very differently from Minnesota. And frankly, Minnesota's doing a lot better than we are. They look at people and see if they have mental health or substance abuse issues. And they treat that and then try to get them back as a, as a, a meaningful partner in our society. We simply are taking too many people and locking them up for extended periods of time that aren't violent. I mean, if they are a violent criminal, they need to be put away. But there, there's a, a tendency in our state to just throw them into the system and then they get lost. And then the recidivism just picks up. And so really, I think it's starting early on in the childhood uh, ages, it's focusing on public education, helping, these, helping folks understand there's opportunities for jobs, but really also addressing the issues that are plaguing us in our correctional system, where we divert a lot of resources, but the return on, on those investments is not positive right now, and it needs to change. Okay. Mr. Anderson. Well, I think uh, Representative Call and I agree on uh, those two main concerns. We differ on method a little bit. Um, I think that uh, having public schools be dominant in every community uh, is a problem. We witnessed that here in Madison, as a matter of fact, when Colleen Kerr wanted to open Madison Prep and was basically stepped on by the teachers' union and wasn't allowed to do it because he didn't want to use union teachers. That's the sort of thing a member of the African-American community wanting to do something to help his community and was basically stepped on. We are, are, have a better chance of providing better education to everybody of every economic level if the market opens up and people are... Um, allowed to choose which schools they are with or without taxpayer money. In every aspect of the economy, I'm sure Representative Call knows this in his business life, competition creates accountability. If a person has to choo can choose between one school or another, those schools have to perform in order to, in order to, uh, in order to get that money from the people, in order to be, have the student there. Um, that's just the natural way that, that, that it, the economies have worked for thousands of years, and that's something that's missing in uh, in our school systems uh, statewide. Another thing that he mentioned, um, reform of the correctional, uh, correctional system and law enforcement, we agree on that um, to a certain extent. African Americans are overwhelmingly over-prosecuted um, and, and put in prison um, than, than whites, and especially for marijuana crimes. And that's a situation where, you know, Representative Call uh, got past the Cannabidol Act um, to make that available. It's not available yet, but it was a good step in the right direction. But I advocate for full legalization of marijuana. There's no, re there's no reason at all. It's, it's not a gateway drug. That's a false argument. Um, it's no more harmful to anybody than, than alcohol. And what it does is create in, in the African-American community an opportunity for law enforcement to arrest more African-Americans and to convict more African-Americans, and that's why there's that many more in prison. That's a big problem. Okay. With the time we have left, each candidate may now make a one-minute closing statement. 
Mr. Anderson. Thank you. Thanks for having us here. Um, again, I'd like to point out something I made in uh, a statement I made in my opening. Uh, in my opening, um, the libertarian philosophy and my philosophy as a human being, and it's informed by not only my political philosophy but my my belief, uh, my religious beliefs, is that individuals are good. People left to their own devices, left with their own money, left with their own opportunity, take care of each other, and they did for thousands of years. It's only been in the last hundred years or so that, governor, that government has become so dominant in our lives, and we've been conditioned to believe that if things don't happen by government doing them, that they're not going to happen. Public schools, um, many other things, uh, redistribution of income to help people, the government doesn't need to do that. There's no dignity in paying taxes and then have the government helping somebody. There is dignity and love in a community where people use their own money that they're not being paying in taxes to help the people around them. It's the same, it's the same money. It either gets sucked out in taxes and given back, to who, and, that, and that process is under the influence of, uh, of special interest and is perverted on a daily basis in our government. Uh, the two-party system, both Democrats and Republicans, because you know, the Republicans are supposed to believe in smaller government, yet our budget is bigger in this state under Republican rule than it ever has been. Democrats generally want to control economic issues and give social freedom. It's just the opposite with Republicans. I believe that people, when they're free to do what they should, as long as they're not harming somebody else, will actually make the society and our economy much, much better. Thank you. Representative Kahn. Thank you. Thank you for having us here. It's a, it's a great opportunity you know, to express our views, and I appreciate the time. Uh, I think you've heard tonight there are some differences. You know, I, I've shown over the last couple of years I can be successful in the minority because I intentionally work across the aisle, and I will continue to do that. I'm not going in there to be a troublemaker. I'm going in there to do what the constituents sent me to do, and that's represent them and get things done. I've been in support of redistricting reform, campaign finance reform, et cetera. Any issue that the League of Women Voters, Common Cause, uh, the Democracy Campaign have, have weighed in on at the Capitol, I'm in 100% on the voting record for that. But I also, unlike my opponent, support public education. You know, I support the Common Core standards. I support labor having a right at the bargaining table. I support a woman having a right to choose. I support embryonic stem cell research. You can go down the list, and we have some very stark differences. I think we both are running for the right reason. We want to make a difference, give back to our communities. I just think you have to look at and see who's more reflective of that given community. My track record is out there for the, in the open. It's out there for public discourse and, uh, and, and dissection. I, I have never run, or, run away from my positions. I've been very strong in my beliefs, and I've been very successful at doing what I've done to advocate for my constituents, and I hope I have the opportunity to do that for two more years. Okay. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to thank the candidates for joining us and the viewing audience for taking the time to know your candidates. I would like to remind everyone that Election Day is Tuesday, November 4th. Please vote. If you would like more information about voting procedures, including voter ID, or obtaining a copy of the League's Candidates Answers publication, call the League office at 232-9447 or visit our website at lwvdanecounty.org. On behalf of Madison's City Channel and the League of Women Voters of Dane County, I thank you for joining us.